Hallelujah, hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It'll be on the screen. I encourage you to take notes. I encourage you to write in your Bible. I encourage you, if you're doing it all digitally, that's fine too. But mark it. It's a tactic of the enemy, Matthew 13 tells us, that when you hear the word, you get excited about it, but you forget it. That's a tactic of the enemy. And it's not that you're, oh, I'm just getting older and I'm forgetful. No, that's a lie of the devil. It is a spiritual tactic of the enemy. I have seen that in my own life. There's times in my life where I have been in the presence of God so deep and the Lord began to reveal the word. And it's so exciting and so enlightening. And I sense the Holy Spirit nudge me, write it down. And I respond, oh, I'll never forget this. And 30 minutes after I leave the room, leave the moment, I'm like, what was that, God? Those forgotten seeds are seeds that cannot produce a fruit. Did you hear me? The forgotten seed of truth can never produce a fruit. They have been consumed by the enemy to keep you away from the benefit and the results that's designed within the power of the seed itself. For the Bible says that the life of the seed is not in the soil, it's in the, it's in the seed itself. You can look at the soil and say, wow, my, my heart is not perfect. That's okay. Get the life of the seed into the heart of the situation. And when you allow the life of the seed to be there, and the, the enemy will try to steal that. That's how he steals, kills, and destroys. He's not going to always put a gun to you. No, he'll come and try to steal the, the seed from your heart, Matthew 13. Why? Because it does not produce fruit if it's forgotten. Yeah. We've all been in places where we're like, man, I just wish I knew to do, what to do. I've had people come up to me after service and begin to tell me what they needed. And, Pastor, I need your prayer, and this is what I'm dealing with. And I look at them, not knowing their situation, but I had just did a whole message, line upon line, verse upon verse, exactly walking through what they needed to do. And they couldn't hear it because all they could see is the problem that they had a need for. If your focus is on the weeds, you'll, not, you'll miss the opportunity to sow the seed. We expect God to smack us, knock us down, and to, to get our attention and shake us and then say, here, take it. Well, he did that for Saul. Yeah, but you don't have to understand. Saul, from his perspective, was zealous for God. He was pursuing God. He was incorrectly pursuing God, but he was pursuing God with all his heart and his mind and his strength. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he said. According to the law, blameless. He was going after God with everything. And when you're going after God with everything, you might not have it all right, but I'm telling you, in your journey, God at that point can shake your attention and say, I need you to make a change in this area. Amen. But some of us say, I won't start until he shows me everything. I don't know who I'm speaking to. I'll begin the journey when it's all been mapped out and God shows me and can guarantee. And it won't work that way. You have to go after with what you have, with the seed you have, with the anointing you have, with the skill you have. With all the miracles we see, God always starts and asks, what do you have? To the, to the disciples, it was a little boy's lunch. To the widow woman, it was a little bit of oil. But whatever they had, it was enough to get the miracle started. They might have had to make changes to be able to receive the, the explosive results of the miracle. But what they had was enough to get the miracle started. Amen. Yeah. Never, never just sit back and I'm just going to sit and, and just going to soak and let the word just wash over me and that's wonderful but if you don't write it down you forget it if you forget it you've lost the benefit of it yeah. and we go back and say God what I need an answer and God said I've been trying to get the answer to you because if I can go a little deeper on this thought, because the truth be told, and I, I don't know the details of your life. I've had people come up, Pastor, you're reading my mail. And obviously, that meant something that was said that was to the benefit exactly what they were dealing with. And I don't know in the natural. Right. I protect that space to the point that I don't even counsel people. You're a pastor, you should counsel. No, I don't want to counsel. One, because there's people that are anointed to counsel. That's their gifting. And two... I don't want to have your details in my head. Because when I'm ministering, I want to feel free. If the Holy Spirit drops something on my heart, I can speak it. And it might be right in line with your marriage, your finances, your children, your, and you don't, you know what I mean? In some churches, it's like if the pastor does all the counseling, you want to know what happened in the counseling room, wait till the next message. And the people aren't looking for the word, they're looking for, I wonder who that was. 
I learned from my dad, I never preach a problem. So if there's ever correction, know that there is no problem that I'm dealing with directly. And so it leaves me that space to be led by the Spirit of God and not get into people's business, specifically in my knowledge, but the Holy Spirit can get in your stuff right in the moment without me not knowing it. And to take it a little farther, in reality what happens is sometimes it's the Holy Spirit will give me something to say that you need. Sometimes I'll say something, and it's not what you're needing, but the Holy Spirit has a way of turning it to you hear it to what you need. That's a whole other different topic. Even Acts... They said, it wasn't that they spoke in different languages. It said they heard them all speak in their own language. The Lord has a way of taking what's being said under the anointing and changing it so you can hear what you need to hear. I could be talking about the end times of Revelation, and you get exactly what you need on how to build your business or fix your marriage or whatever. How? It, it, It is a God thing. And I can prove it just not only by that scripture, but if you think about it, have you ever had several children in a room talking to you at once? Come on, parents, talk to me. Have you ever got to the place of, listen, you have all answered the question simultaneously but differently, and now I don't know what any of you said? Right? So if you had a lot of people all from different areas, all speaking different languages, and they all heard the disciples speaking the wondrous works of God in their language at the same time, how would they understand any of it if they were all talking different languages simultaneously? See, that's another a level of that where you're at, it doesn't matter what the title of the message is. It doesn't matter what the point is that's being spoken of. It doesn't matter the illustration. If you stay and let the Holy Spirit do it, the Lord can work and take what's being said under the anointing and turn it around so you translate it, hear it, and what He needs you to hear. That's having eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive. Can I get an amen? amen. Can I get a better amen? amen. Hebrews eleven six. You should be there by now. If you're not, I'm sorry. We're going to get you a Bible with tabs. But without faith, why don't you read that with me? Count of three. Ready? Do it loud. Together. One, two, three. But without faith, it is impossible. He is a rewarder. Aren't you excited about that? You can say, well, we just don't focus on the rewards. No, we don't, but we can't exclude them either. For if we're to please God, we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when you seek him, you can expect him because he doesn't want the title of being a rewarder just to have the title. No, he is a rewarder for purpose. See, God doesn't say stuff just because it sounds good. God doesn't say stuff just to get applause. Have you noticed that? When he speaks it, it happens. In the, in the Old Testament, you'll see the phrase, the word of the Lord. It is literally a compound word that is a, at the same time a noun and a verb simultaneously. Because when God says it, it becomes it. If it wasn't before, it is now. When God sees darkness, he doesn't say no darkness. He says light. And the moment he spoke light, light If Jesus just showed up, just manifested himself and said, today is Tuesday, you could argue today is Sunday, but I would challenge you, look again, it just became Tuesday. Because the moment he says it, it becomes it. His his words have that, that much power. So when he says, I'm a rewarder, he's not doing it because he's wanting you to applaud. He's not looking for, he's releasing truth to impact your life that he is a rewarder because he knows that there'll be people out there in the future of time because he sees all things. The Bible says he sees the end as equally as he does the beginning. He operates in this dimension called eternity. What we understand is a linear thing of time and that thing will cease, the Bible says. He will wrap it up and complete it at the end and bring us all back to the place that Adam operated in initially. And that's in the context of what is called eternity. This thing of past, present, and future, you don't understand. He's in all places at all things. He is a big God. He is a good God. Can I get an amen? 
So before you ever found a problem, he knew the problem you would find, and he already backed up. Before you had a need, that's what Jehovah Jireh means, not just the God who provides, the God who saw all things in time and saw your need before you knew there was a need. And he backed up and put his son on the cross who paid the price for everything, everything, not only your sin, but has brought provision through the covenant to meet every need. He is the God before you knew there was a problem. He is the solution. And it doesn't mean knowing that, that you won't have problems or challenges, but it can help you when you face the challenges, say, God, you were here before me. Sometimes instead of crying and calling on uh, our neighbor or our friend, we need to stop and say, God, I'm going to praise you before I saw it, you were here. Before I knew it, you were here. Come on, somebody. You didn't walk in to discover it in your prayer. Sometimes we think our prayer is informing God of what he was not aware of. And you have to understand, before you prayed, he was there. Before you opened your mouth, he knew what you were going to say. The Bible says that there is coming a phase in, the, in our generation that all of a sudden God said, I will answer your prayers before you even speak them out. Because he knew it before. Well, if God knew it, why do I do it? Because you do it because you give him access into the place in which you call your reality. He will not override your will. So before you got there, he was there. The psalmist said, God, you are before me, you are behind me, and your hand of blessings upon my head. So when you face a problem, you don't have to say, God, I want to tell you about it. You can say, God, you were already here. What what have you already done? And what have you called me to do to get victory in this? Say, he's already there. Um, that should comfort you. You're never alone. Man, you will feel alone. The devil will tell you you're alone. But the truth is you will never be alone if you're hooked up with Jesus. Say, he'll never leave me nor forsake me. That's what Peter wrote. He will never abandon you. Look, someone needs to know that. He will never, look to your neighbor and say, you will never be alone. Look to your other neighbor and say, mm, maybe you. Maybe not. No, I'm joking. Say, so I'll never be alone. So when you hit a wall, you don't say, oh God, why me? You say, oh God, what do you want me to do? David went before God many times and said, Lord, here's the problem. What do you want me to do? Because he sees the end. He knows the solution. And he'll say, follow me. Just like Jesus told the disciples. He won't always give you 10 steps. He'll give you the one step. Here's what I want you to do. So we keep following him. We're connected to him. Can I get an amen? amen? But in the process of receiving, he is the rewarder, not because of a title, but because of his nature. When we draw near to him, James says he will draw near to us. And when we understand that and believe that, that's a part of us pleasing our heavenly father, that he loves, he delights in giving his children the kingdom. Jesus said that, disciples, he delights in giving you the kingdom. He's not stingy. We'll read and we'll perceive God if we're not careful through the filters of our own perception. We do it to people. We will perceive and interpret comments, looks, and expression through the filters of our understanding of who we are. If you tend to lie, all somebody has to do is just stutter a little bit or be a little not sure of themselves when they say something, and you'll walk away and say, they're lying. I just know they're lying. I can tell. If you cheat on your spouse, you'll be one of the most jealous people every time you see your, your spouse talking to somebody. Why are you talking to them that way? They just said, good morning, welcome to Hope Church. Well, I don't like that. That bothers me. It makes me... Why? Because they're tormented by the filter of what they've allowed to become who they are. Find me somebody who trusts nobody, and that's somebody you better be cautious of. Isn't that funny? How the devil works? Tells on himself. But God is, say, God is a rewarder. Say, my heavenly Father is a good God. When they approached Jesus one day, the attorney said, good master, what do I need to do and inherit life? Jesus stopped him right there and said, there is none good but one, and that's our heavenly Father. And the shame of it is in a lot of churches that is not taught. They teach God as a judge, and he will judge one day. 
Jesus will judge. Jesus said, the Father has put all judgment in my hand. But we are not in the season of judgment. We are in the season of grace. That doesn't mean you get by with everything. That means there is a season to repent. Because when judgment, we always think of judgment as just a temporary moment. Judgment in the perspective of eternity, heaven's perspective of judgment. When God judges, it's over. It's final. And we live in this place of grace. That doesn't mean, as some have misinterpreted it, that you can do anything you want and it's okay. No. The Bible is very specific. Shall we use our freedom that we have from sin to go back and live in sin? And he said, Paul says, God forbid because you bring yourself under subjection to sin again. I don't know about you, but I don't think any Christian truly, when they look at life, even though they feel tempted and go back and come back and get cleaned up and go back and get tempted and get in sin and come back and get cleaned up, after a while they look over that cycle and say, there's gotta be something better. And there is something better. You can be not only forgiven, you can be free from that stuff in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. And so he is a rewarder. He's a good God to those that diligently seek him. But while we're seeking Him, while we receive, because the Bible tells us that we receive everything by grace through faith, while we receive Him, while we receive what He has for us in the reward, there is a waiting time. What to do when we are in the waiting time with God? What to do? It's worse than a waiting time sometimes of a hospital or a doctor's appointment or you're getting your oral changed and go ahead and enjoy the waiting room. Has anybody ever created a waiting room that was enjoyable? But it's a, it's a part even in the kingdom of God. God said, listen, you've asked, I'm going to answer it. You've done what you're supposed to do. Now you get ready to receive it by faith. Okay, God. And there's many different reasons. I can't always give you the, the why. For Abraham, his waiting was just not only a healing of his body, but he had to wait for Sarah to get the revelation and get the healing so it would work. For Noah, it was the waiting was all about him building a boat before the miracle would happen because it had never rained before. And he was walking around saying, God said he's going to send a rain and a flood. And they looked at him and said, there is no such thing. It has never happened. Most people don't realize that. During the life of Noah, the water was... The ground was watered from below and came up. It never came from the sky. For different people, for for David, God said it's not time, but there'll be a time where I'm going to eliminate Saul, and I'm not going to let you do it, because if you do it, the blood's on your hands. But Saul will have to deal with it because of his disobedience. I don't know all the reasons to the waiting process, but I do know there is a waiting process. And the Bible talks about that. It says, having done all, to stand. Having done all, stand. Say stand. Stand. Let me read you the context of this, and you'll see why. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. I love that verse because it didn't say feel strong. It said be strong. Our human tendencies, we look to what we feel, hear, or see, and God wants to redirect us to the, the direction of where he sends us. Amen. If we follow what the trend is, we'll, we'll swim downstream. If we follow the trend, we'll only eat the fruit of the tree that falls to the ground. But, oh, and that can be done. And many of people have lived their life eating from the fruit of the tree of God that falls to the ground. But there's a better way. There's a greater way for those who look up and begin to say, I see fruit that's high above, and I can't reach it on my own, but they begin to climb and pursue and begin to reach out and get a hold of what has been closer to the sun that has not been exposed to the to deterioration or the ground or the mud and the dirt or people trampling on it. Some of us, all we've lived on in our spiritual life is just the spiritual food that's been trampled by other people. But I'm telling you, there's a place that God has put out, just like he told uh, Moses. Moses said, I want to see your, you in the fullness of your glory. I want another translation to be, I want to see you face to face. And God said, I can't show you the direct face to face Because anyone who sees that will die. Why? Because God is so good that even in the Hebrew, when it refers to his glory, it is the kabod, the weightiness of his glory, the weightiness of his goodness. He is so good that he is, it is so heavy that your natural, if there's any carnality in the flesh, it will crumble under the weight of good. 
But one day, Paul says, this on this side of eternity, we see through a dim uh, glass. That means we see with shadows and not with clarity. But one day I will know as I am known. And one day we'll all stand before the throne of God. And one day we'll stand before, and it won't be like, a, oh, I'm so scared. It'll be, this is so amazing, so good. I could never experience this goodness. I don't know how to define it. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to articulate it. And I use illustrations that to me are, are so subtly way below the reality. But I, like cake, we all have eaten cake. Some is dry and yuck and some is rich. Have you ever had a piece of rich cake that was so rich that the first bite you're like, give me some milk? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Come on. Any other cake lovers in the house besides me? Am I going to be the one standing out here talking about cake? <laughs> became so politically correct, I don't eat cake. I don't eat any sugar. God bless you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send a team to your house and force feed a tube into your arm and give you all the sugar you don't want. Here it comes. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Have you ever had it where you, you took a bite of cake and it was so rich, it was almost too sweet. It was so sweet, it was beyond sweet. It was too sweet. And you're like, I can't eat this whole piece. It's too much. I'm telling you, God is too good. And God told Moses, I can't let you see the fullness of me because of the reality the blood of Jesus had not been shed because for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right? But by the blood of Jesus, that's been resolved. Oh, we'll get into that some other time. And God said, I'm going to put you in a cleft of the rock, and I'm going to let my goodness pass by you, and you'll see the backside. I don't believe that's the time that he saw the physical backside of God from that context. We miss it in the translation. I believe, and you can disagree with me, and I'll still love you, and you can love me, and we'll pray for each other, and that's all good. But I, I believe what God did is he put Moses in a cleft of the rock. He said, I've cut out a place for you, Moses. And in that place, I'm going to begin to reveal something you've never seen before. You are hungry to know me in the fullness. You are hungry to know me in my fullness but you don't have the capacity until we get to the cross, until we get to resurrection. That's why your physical body has to be resurrected. It's not because God's just saying, let's do it. It's because in the resurrection of the dead body, it equips your physical body to be able to handle the weight of his goodness. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, then he that raised Christ from the dead will quicken, make alive your mortal body. The mortality of your flesh is the limitation to the goodness of God. Because he is so good, you cannot put him in, define him by words because words have boundaries and limits. And you cannot describe someone that does not have limits with words that have limits. And he said, Moses, I'm going to carve out a place in this rock. And I'm going to put you there and I'm going to cover your eyes, which means I'm going to keep you from understanding till I'm ready for your, till you're ready to understand. That's just not in the Old Testament. I don't go down this road too far, but even in the New Testament. Have you ever noticed that Jesus, when they would try to throw him off the cliff, that he would pass through them? Yeah. Not just once, many times. He had the ability to close their eyes so they could not understand who he was, even where he was, and walk right through them. Right. You think you're so bad? Can you imagine? Wouldn't you like to do that? Some people are trying to, try to go after you, and they surround you, and you sit back and say, watch this. I wish you had a camera because no one will believe this. Watch this. I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he snapped a finger. I don't know, but he would just pass through the crowd. And they'd be like, where'd Jesus go? He could walk with people on, on the road, and they wouldn't understand who he was until he was ready to reveal himself to them. Yeah. God, he's so amazing. He had the ability, even after the resurrection, to walk through the wall. And if that, you're like, yeah, he's spirit. No, no, he was not only spirit. He had the physical body been resurrected. And if that doesn't, if you don't think that's cool, not only did he walk through the wall, then he sat down in a chair. That should blow your mind. That should blow your mind. Because then he had the ability to change his cells. Are you listening to me? Science is only trying to catch up to the Bible. He had the ability to change the speed of his cells of his physical body to the point where he can move through a physical wall and then change the speed so then he could sit down on a chair. Come on, somebody. That, that, that's when you get into some quantum physics stuff. And he passed right through him. And, I, and going back to, we're just, yeah, I've done left my notes so long ago. All I had is a scripture anyway. 
I just love this place right here called the anointing of God. And so, and so he said, Moses, I'm going to put you in a place in a rock. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm speaking prophetically. God has a place for you so you begin to see who he is in your life. Amen. Let him show you where that's at. He's got a place for you. And, that, and that's not only a church. And that, that is definitely a part of it. You just can't go to any church. Well, all churches are the same. No, they're not. Well, I, I like the color on this church, that building. I like that wall being that color. Well, you know what I mean? Well, that's the way you define it, and you'll see what you get to see, and what you don't get to see you won't be aware of. But he told Moses, he said, I'm cutting out a place at the cleft of the rock, and I want you to, I'm going to put you there, and I'm going to cover your ability to perceive until I get to the place I come, and I want you to see, and I'm going to show you my backside. And it wasn't the physical backside. I believe with all my heart what he said is, I'm going to show you not where I am in the context of eternity but in the context of where I've been in history. Why do I say that? Because it was Moses who penned in the beginning. God created. Where did Moses get that? I'm telling you where he got it. God said, I'm going to cover you so you don't see it, but then I'm going to let my backside pass by, and then you're going to begin to see not who I am in my eternity because you can't handle the goodness of who I am, but I can show you where I've been. And where I've been is so amazing that you're going to try to pin it, and it'll not be forgotten. I feel the anointing on that. And if that was amazing where he's been, how amazing where he's taken us. How amazing who he is, for he is the great I am. Moses said, God, and when he stood before the, knelt before the burning, burning bush, God said, take off your sandals because the place that you are standing is holy. It's not holy because it was sand. It wasn't holy because it was on a mountain. It was holy because God was there. Because when God shows up, things change. Did you hear me? I feel that for somebody. When God shows up, your house will change. When God shows up, the room changes. When the presence of God shows up, things change. They might have been average before. You maybe have been an average person, an average life, doing an average career, doing an average goal. But I decree over your life, when God shows up, things are changing. You're not average anymore. You have been sanctified and made holy by the blood of the Lamb. And you are now separated by God for a specific purpose. You are not here by accident. You are here by destiny in the name of Jesus. And I speak over your life. You will not, you will not come short, but you will finish your race. Say, I will finish my race. You have a purpose. And God said to Moses, take off the your sandals. Take off the things that you've created in the natural of the flesh because what I'm doing is so amazing that the flesh can't handle what the spirit is bringing. Because you would think, what's the big deal? Why not leave the sandals on? It's sandals, it's sandals, it's shoes, it's shoes, no big deal. If I take them off, I still got my feet. My feet can't be too clean, right? But God had to separate what man had created within the mix. Oh my God. Because it was humanity that created the shoes, but it was divinity that created the feet. Come on. Man, we are in the anointing on this. this is, if you, you can ask my media team later. This is not even close to what we were talking about. But God's saying, listen, there's times when we have to pull our natural thing out of the situation. Because the cycle to flow, it has to be all spirit. Amen. It doesn't mean you have to be weird. It doesn't mean you have to talk different. It just means you got to step back and say, God, this is going to be you and only you. Amen. When God decided he was going to find a people, he needed a people because he needed a redeemer. He needed a seed. So he can, but it had to be not just in, in the creation of humanity. It not had to be just through the birthing of children. It had to be with the context of faith. Amen. And so he chose faith. Father Abraham, the father of faith. And Abraham, I'm going to use you. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And the Bible says that when he made a covenant with Abraham, check it out, that he looked at Abraham and said, listen, I'm going to do something. Eyes and ears don't fully understand it, but I got a big plan. Say, God's got a big plan. 
I hear, I, I hear that in my spirit for some of you. God has a big plan for you. It's easy to believe that God has a big plan for our neighbor, our friend, or people across the auditorium, but I'm speaking to your life. God has a big plan for you. Shout out, God has a big plan for me. I believe I'm speaking to people with big destiny today. I believe I'm speaking to people with big anointings today. I believe I'm speaking to people that are earth shakers today. God said, Abram, I'm going to do a covenant. And you're going to begin the, I'm going to use you as the starting point. Because it wasn't a starting point of the natural, it was a starting point of the, fle- of the faith. And I'm going to begin. And so, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I want you to get some animals. I want you to sacrifice these animals. I want you to put the blood because we need blood. Because no covenant can happen without blood. Yeah. All right, God, what do you want me to do next? I want you to do nothing. What do you mean nothing? That's right. I'm going to put you to sleep. Why are you going to put me to sleep, God? Because if you know everything and you try to think that you're a part of the equation, I just need you to receive it by faith. Because if, I, if you know it, you'll try to make it happen. And if you're, only, if you're trying to do it in the flesh, then it won't be but, oh my God. Because if you do it in your ability, somewhere you or someone in your generation will mess it up. And this is too big for me to allow you to fail in the frailty of your inability. And so I'm going to put you to sleep. I'm going to put you into the place called rest. Oh my God, people. Hebrews 4 tells us that they could not enter into the promised land because they did not understand. They did not understand and could receive it by faith. Therefore, God tells us that they were not able to enter the rest that God had for them. And it's still available to us because those with a hard heart can't receive it. But those who operate by faith can enter to their place of rest. And God said to Abraham, you're in faith. Now I'm going to put you to a place of rest because I'm not depending on you. You are depending on me. And God created a covenant. Are you listening to me? He created a covenant. He had you in mind when he created that covenant. I want you to understand in the fullness of God's understanding. He knows all things. He sees everyone. Before you thought it, he knew you would think it. Before you said it, he knew you were going to say it. And so he had his eye and his mind on you when he walked through that, making a covenant. When Jesus was on the cross, he knew everyone. He hit for the joy set before him, the Bible tells us. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the finisher. And for the joy set before him, you are the joy. You are the apple of his eye. The world will tell you you have no value. The world will tell you you're just average. The world will tell you that you don't matter. But I tell you today, by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, you are the apple of His eye. How can He have more than one apple? He's that big! He's that good! Abraham, I'm going to put you to a place of rest and I'm going to make a covenant. And the Bible says that he walked and he walked while Abraham was resting. He, God began to walk through the blood. God and begin to decree what he was going to do he spoke to Abraham this what is going to happen you're now Abraham and this is what's going to happen and he began out of the covenant because God created covenant the Bible says for Abraham not with Abraham he cut covenant amongst himself for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth looking to show to who he can show himself strong. And the Bible says that he looked for a deliverer and found none. So by his own arm. There's times we have to step back and say, God, I'm going to rest on this because it's too big for me. It's too big for me. I can't do it, but I found a word in your promise. And if you said it, you said it in covenant. And if you said it in covenant, you need me to be in a place of rest to receive it. There is a rest for the people of God, Hebrews 4 says. We are to strive to enter into that rest. So Abraham, I'm going to put you to sleep. I'm going to put you in a place of rest, and I'm going to begin to activate a covenant that's going to be between me and me for you. Because if it's for me and you, you could fail. But if it's with me and me for you, then you get the benefit of something that you can't do within God. 
There is things that God has. Eye has not seen, neither ear has heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But he has revealed them to us by his spirit. How do we get it revealed to us by our spirit? We pursue God. You draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. He'll begin to reveal things that he has made a covenant amongst himself between him and him for you. You don't do it. You receive it by faith. The Bible says that Israel, though they are, they are still, never forget this, Israel is still the chosen people of God. But Paul is an amazing dissertation about this. And he said, though Israel's the people of God, they have struggled at this idea because they are trying to obtain by effort what only can be brought by grace through faith. And they were the natural branch. And if us being the foreign branch are grafted into the vine because of the removal of them, because they rejected Jesus, and because of the removal of them, we can be grafted, the Gentiles, we can be grafted in. How much more them coming back in. Are you listening to me? God is not done with his people, Israel. God is not done with his people, Israel. You better be praying for Israel, for the peace of Jerusalem. I mean, every Jewish person I've done business with, I I shake their hand. I said, listen, I want to honor you and respect you. you. You are the chosen people of God. They are the, the seed of Abraham. The lineage. But God made a covenant amongst himself for for Abraham to receive by faith. But it wasn't just an Old Testament thing. Because in the midst of the journey, there's this thing called that God used Moses to bring the law. And the law was not there to promote. The law was there to reveal that they needed a Savior. The law was to reveal because if you violated one part of the law, at any point you were in violation of all the law in in perpetuity, in eternity, forever. You can't go back. That's why it's a a fallacy for people to say, I'm a good person, I should get get to heaven. Good people don't make it to heaven. Only forgiven people make it to heaven. If, you, if, if you're going to do it on your own ability, let's look it up. If you've lied once, you're a liar because of the once, and you are in violation of all the law, you're destined to hell. But the point of the, the, the season, the season of the law was to communicate to humanity, you cannot do it on your own ability. I'll give you a chance to do it. I'll give you the the span of time to try it so that you can come to the revelation. God is a gracious God. It's like what John saw in heaven. And we sing a song along these lines, and I just love it every time we sing it. And John is looking at heaven, and they said, who is worthy to open up the scroll? And John begins to cry because for 30 minutes there's silence. There is no one in heaven and earth and hell that is worthy. And the angel says to to John, stop weeping because the the lamb has come. And Jesus comes out of the presence of God. I I, I mean, when we sing that song, there's that, I'm so deep, I don't even know the name of the song now. (laughs) You have no rivals. You have no equals. It's not because he got there first and said, I'm at the top of the hill and I'm pushing everybody down. God says, let, I'll let anybody who wants to try. And for 30 minutes, it's dead silence because nobody can do it. And after a period of time, he said, okay, now it's my turn. Hell's had a chance they couldn't do it. Heaven's had a chance they could do it. Everybody in heaven's had a chance. Earth has had a chance they could do it. Everybody in heaven's had a chance they can't do it. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes out of the presence of the Father. God. There was none like Jesus. Our arguments between groups would diminish if we get our focus back that there is none like Jesus. Well, they don't preach like I like to preach. They don't teach like I like to teach. They don't do it in the order, the direction. Forget all the garbage. There is none like Jesus. In the presence of Jehovah, no one will stand up with the itty-bitty arguments of criticism of why things could be different. They will fall to the ground because at the end of the day, there is none like my Jesus.
When God, you're like, do you believe in Trinity or oneness? You know what? You need to just get a rip and a grip. Because when you get to heaven, you are trying to define in your natural mind what you cannot conceive because it is in the realm of eternity. You do not understand it. You can try to define it and you can look big and proud like you're a smart person because you've got it figured out. And when you get to heaven, you're going to be like, boy, I did not fully understand that. Is he one or is he three? Yes, yes. Mountains, mountains will melt at his presence. Because even mountains understand who the creator is. There's none like our Jesus. So in an infinite wisdom of planning of God, he has a season, what we call time, history, whatever you want to define it. And he said, here's a time I'm going to let man, with their ability of a choice that I gave them, to choose me or not choose me. But they have to understand that at the end of the day, they can't do it. They can't get to righteousness without me. But God did forget Abram, who became Abraham, within the context of Moses. For Paul talks in Galatians how that it was to Abraham and to his seed. Not plural, but singular. That God made the covenant. Because God was bringing his own arm of it. And so the promise was to Abraham and to his seed, to Christ. To the anointed one and his anointing. To the Messiah. Everything else was, everything else was shadows. Everything else was figures pointing. To, you have to understand this. Everything, everything points to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything was some, it, it, not saying it didn't happen. It did happen. When Abraham offered Isaac, it happened. But it was also symbolism of what God the Father was getting ready to do with his son. Yeah. He fulfills all things. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Even, even the feast in the Old Testament that, the, that the Israel has been practicing for thousands of years, the word feast in the Hebrew means rehearsal, like a dress rehearsal of a wedding. You're going to it, and you're practicing it, and you don't understand it all, but you know one day you're going to be doing it. The Holy Spirit came in Acts 2 to humanity because of Jesus at his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary on the day of Pentecost. Do you know what the day of Pentecost represents? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do you know when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost? So they didn't say, wow, the Holy Spirit came. Let's name it the day of Pentecost. It's like you having a birthday. You know your birthday, right? Imagine them having a birthday party for you every year for 50 years before you're born. And they sing happy birthday to you with a cake and candles 50 years every year before you're born. How about 100 years? How about 1,000 years? And you begin to catch what the plan of God was the whole time. And on the day of your birthday, you're born. On the day of Pentecost, he came. Every feast points to Jesus. So much in the word of God. God made a covenant with Abraham amongst himself for Abraham and to his seed. Seed being singular, seed being Jesus. And if you are saved, if you are in Christ, then you are, Galatians tells us this chapter 3, if you are in Christ, then you are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. Whew. Right now I'm thinking, what do I do with the message I had? Maybe I'll. You know, you can work on something so long, and you really get, I can't wait to do this one. Help me, Jesus. Not enough time to teach that one either. What am I telling you? Are you listening to me from the front to the back? Your Heavenly Father knows the details of your life. And you are of great value. You're not here by accident. You're not a mistake. You're not a, you know, some people say, oh, they're a hot mess. You're not a hot mess. 
though that's maybe what your history was, starting today, you're destiny-driven. You, you have a covenant with God. He's a good God. He's a good God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here today, do not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not asking if you know about God. I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm asking you this one question. And the way you process and the way you experience and the way you understand, is Jesus Christ real to you today that you know without a shadow or doubt or question that number one, he's real, and number two, that he is your Lord and Savior? Salvation is just not a gimmick. It's not a game. It's not a joining of a church thing. It's not a self-help. It's not a be a better person thing. Salvation is one of the greatest miracles in the mind of God. It's coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's no longer being an orphan to the family of God to becoming a child of the Most High God. It's having that real relationship and understanding where your sins are forgiven. Heaven is your home. Hell is no longer part of your life. It's a destiny, a direction, but most importantly, a relationship. It's the weight of sin and condemnation being lifted off your life. It's the most amazing relationship you can have. If you don't, Revelation 3, Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. If anybody opens the door, hears my voice and opens up, I will come in. Romans 10 tells us, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans also tells us that with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What does that mean? When you hear the word and you obey and you have, you're convicted on the inside that you need a savior. Not because you're not good enough. No one's good enough. Because you, each and every one of us need a Savior. We need Him. Our humanity tells us we're independent. We can handle it. We can do it. We're men or we're smart, intelligent women. And we're strong and we can make it. But I'm telling you, we all need Him. For salvation, for success, for life, for whatever it might be. He is the source of all life. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you say, Pastor, I want to know Jesus, maybe you've never heard the gospel, or maybe you've allowed stuff to come between you and God, and you know your heart's not right. This is the day for salvation. Would you be so gracious to follow me in this prayer? Whatever I pray, just let it come from your heart and out of your mouth. Say with me, Heavenly Father, I repent of all my sins. I turn to you today. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came to this earth in the flesh, died on a cross for my sins, was buried for me, and on the third day rose again for me. Because I believe that, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart Wash me in your blood. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Give me a fresh start. Say, Jesus, I don't want a religion. I want a real relationship with you. So I open up the door of my heart and life, and I invite you in to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for saving me. I boldly say, I am saved. I am a Christian. Jesus is my Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I know some of us are typically tend to be shy. Some of us are real outgoing and, and, and bold. Either way, this is important. If you prayed that prayer, I want to speak a blessing over you. Ephesians tells us that, that you can be strengthened with might by the Spirit of God on the inner person. I, I just don't want you saved and prayed the prayer. I want you walking out of this place with the presence of God, the fire of God, and the strength of God, that when temptation comes, you can stand and say no. When God brings opportunities, you can stand and say, I'm going to go. But whatever, it's just not a one-time thing. You go back and do your own life. No, you are a brand new creation. The past has been, a done, has been done away with you. Romans 8 tells us there is therefore no, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So when the devil reminds you who you used to be, tell him that guy's gone. I'm a different person in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer, I want to speak a blessing over your life. Uh, this is not to embarrass you. You're like, I'm not comfortable standing. I know. I'm the same way. But it, it, believe it or not, 
That's why I'm, I'm only up here by the anointing. If you only knew the, my natural temperament, you'd be like, really? I'm more of a hangout, hideout type of person. But if you, this is important. If we struggle with standing up for Jesus in a house where people clap, how do we stand up for Jesus in a world that's trying to take you out? So this is important to build the tenacity in your own life. So at the count of three, if you prayed that prayer, if you're bold, I want you to jump quick. But if you prayed that prayer, I want you to stand to your feet at the count of three. One, two, three. Stand right up if you prayed that prayer for salvation. Who am I talking to? Thank you. God bless. Stay standing. Stay standing. Stay. God bless you. Stay standing. Come on. Look at the people all over. Come on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I think there's still more. There's somebody in the, in the coffee house. 16, 17, 18. God, stay standing, stay standing. First of all, I want you to know, welcome to the family of God. First time we're coming back. Either way, the Bible says heaven is celebrating. Angels are shouting and celebrating and doing a dance for this party. Amen, church? To me, this is a, a huge part of what we do and why we do it. From the grocery store, the feeding, the hunger free grocery store, the free clothing store, to the outreaches, to the services, to the group ministries. It's to see people grow in the things of God, but ultimately we want to see more people know Jesus. Amen? That's a driving force in everything we do. So stretch your hands toward people that are standing up. Father, I thank you for every person that just accepted you. I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Right now, Father God, I ask you to strengthen them with might by your spirit in the inner man. Bless them. Give them an anointing for tenacity and strength. I thank you they'll never be the same. I thank you that they'll not go back. They will go from glory to glory. We seal them with the blood of Jesus. And I call them, Father God, to reach destiny that you've called for them to have. We thank you for that. Thank you for your grace, your kindness. Let them just sense your, your hand, wrapping, your arms wrap around them in love. You love them so much. Let them sense it. No, let them know that they are of great value. And I thank you. We give you praise, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen.